Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's the hash on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. It's June 1st, by the way. Happy Thursday. Happy June. Let's do this thing. The hash is here to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto news. I'm Zach Seward. We got Adam Levine. We got Jensen Assey. We got Will Foxley. We got a story on the 3AC guys to open the show, and I am taking it. That's right. Bankruptcy Claims Exchange. OpenX issues another token, the OX token. OpenX's own little version of BNB or FTT was issued today, and people were excited. Now, 3AC guys partnered with the CoinFlex guys to launch OpenX. So CoinFlex had a pre-existing token called Flex. There's a relationship between the two tokens, and Flex was pumping a little bit on the news when this was dropped today. We'll talk about exchange tokens. We'll talk about OpenX. This also follows some somewhat contested fundraising announcements that were made by OpenX. So we'll also talk about that. I'll toss this straight to Adam for his thoughts. What do you think on OpenX these days? I think that this type of exchange actually makes a ton of sense. We've seen these sort of informal things come up. And really, again, what's happening here, if you dig into it, is that when a company goes bankrupt, you've got creditors, those creditors are owed money, but the process for getting that money out can, in the case of something like Mt. Gox, literally be you know like 10 years. Uh, so a lot of times, the value of the money in 10 years is a lot less than the value of the money to you today. And so sometimes people are willing to sell those claims at kind of pennies on the dollar uh, in order to get some liquidity back and to just escape having to worry about this for the next number of years, right? So this type of exchange uh, really does make sense. We've seen successful uh, use of this type of thing before. And it really reminds me of kind of the story way back when with Bitfinex, where Bitfinex got uh, compromised, had a whole bunch of money stolen from it. They issued a token rather than going bankrupt. And they eventually did manage to claw their way out of that whole thing, pay back all the tokens without ever formally going into bankruptcy. So this is a little different. This is legit bankruptcy claims, but it's kind of the same thing. And I like when you can connect dots like this and make it so people have more choices, even if none of the choices are good. Hey, it's always better to have options and pick kind of what's your favorite. Will, what do you think? 
Yeah, I agree with you on that part. Like, I think this is a product that's needed. There's a lot of different Chapter 11 cases for a lot of these trading firms or hedge funds. And having a place where you're able to like neutrally trade it makes a lot of sense. The background here, of course, is like the people who team this up are basically everyone's worst nightmare, right? Don't have a lot of love for Suzu on the show or Kyle Davies. CoinFlex also had a lot of problems. And a lot of these people still owe people billions of dollars. Uh, so that is one issue. And then the second issue here, I think, is the token itself, right? So it has the Flex token, which is uh, like an older token, like you said, Zach, from the CoinFlex team itself that's somehow poured into this whole relationship with the new exchange. And then they launched this new token this morning. Has about 9 billion tokens distributed right now to about 153 users. So token distribution isn't great there. And it's probably going to take a while for it to have like any sort of value. A lot of times, like these tokens are launched with the purpose of just having liquidity and for people to cash out, pay for their own lifestyles. There's only a very few rare cases, Adam, where something like Bitfinex was able to actually hold itself to like figuring out problem with a token. More times than not, it's just another way to scam people out of more money. We don't know that for sure. We don't know anything about this token just launched. But if history is any guide for us, there are some concerns, definitely. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, you kind of said what I was going to say at the end there. You know, I think the product makes sense, but the focus shifting from the people to the product is interesting to me in an industry where we put so much stock into trust, right? Like, are we able to trust these two who are hopping around from jurisdiction to jurisdiction who have really loose extradition laws and who have not really said anything meaty in the public about what happened at 3AC? I pulled this quote from a previous Coindesk article. It was a quote from Kyle Davies who said, if you think about why people are angry, it has nothing to do with me, actually. People are angry because the market went down. The quote goes on. You can go and read it in the Coindesk article. But I, I just wonder if these are the right people to bring this product to life and if they will be able to garner the trust of the public. Of course, when they launched, it was kind of a, it wasn't a good launch, right? Not a lot of people went to the product. And now we've seen it kind of take off in the last 24 hours. I wonder if they'll be able to maintain the momentum. Zach, what do you think? Tokens sure incentivize activity, right? There's always people who are looking to play these things one way or the other to profit. And I think that's why you see a lot of projects turn to tokens, right? It generates excitement, generates a user base where previously there hadn't been one, right? It's, tokens are a great way to solve sort of the bootstrapping problem that you face in the world of traditional startups. Uh, they also come with significant downsides, significant sort of regulatory uncertainty in certain jurisdictions, and all sorts of other sort of perverse incentives that ultimately may not benefit a project for the long run. So we may see the beginnings of some of these trends play out over time with OpenX. I kind of do agree with Adam that it is cool that there is a product like this on the market, because again, the optionality of being able to trade those claims a bit more fluidly than you can on some other centralized exchanges out there is something that I think is needed, especially in the wake of the many bankruptcies that were in part facilitated by some of the risky decisions that 3AC made. So it is a bit of a complicated crypto story, given the actors and given their place in the product that they're offering. That's not to say that it's not going to be a success, but it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they navigate it to that success should it reach that stage. But Adam, I saw your hand. I'll throw it to you. Yeah, just kind of final thoughts on that. Yeah, again, like I, I have very little opinion whatsoever about the folks behind Three Arrows Capital or the folks who are doing this, but I will note that they probably understand this problem pretty intensely, <laughs> right? Like, Again, That's like a lot thing. of times the best people to build these types of products are the people who really understand the need. And you know that they've had people banging down their door 
you know, saying, hey, where's the money? Where's the money? And this might be a way for them to be like, okay, go sell it to somebody else who doesn't want to deal with this. The other thing that I'll mention is that um, this does use special purpose vehicles. So there is a little bit of corporate kind of technicalities behind the scenes in terms of how the thing is actually enacted. That again, just makes me kind of be like, hey, let's wait and see what happens. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't be investing in anything to do with any of these folks at this point, but that doesn't have anything to do with this particular story. Next up, crypto assets should be treated as securities by default, and the autonomous organizations that govern blockchain finance or decentralized finance DeFi projects should be granted legal status, which is both a good thing and a bad thing, depending on how you think about it. That's according to a study commissioned by lawmakers at the European Parliament that was published a little bit earlier this week. The study comes after the first substantive round of rules for the unified licensing scheme covering the whole Eurozone were approved. And if bureaucrats get their way, it looks like there are more such packages to come. Like I said, it's kind of both a good and a bad thing. And I've got a lot of thoughts about this, but Will, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, the whole Mika conversation is interesting when you look at the US versus Europe. Europe just passed this legislation, I believe, uh, yesterday, um, Wednesday, and now it goes through like some preliminary stuff where it has to go into some sort of journal. I don't really know what that means, but the European Union has this journal. And once it's in the journal, it can be processed into like actual law. And then from there, it takes about 12 to 18 months for it to actually go into purpose. A lot of this stuff is sort of like the bare bones things regulators and consumers, frankly, have been wanting for a while. So stable coins, they have to have a reserve on top of them. I think there's some mining things in here. There's some wallet stuff in here as well. It's pretty basic, though. They left a lot of like the juicier topics. They're going to have some contention around them, like DeFi for later. And I think they will get to it later. But for now, they're, coined, they're kind of sticking to like the simpler stuff. Uh, and I think the securities thing sort of bleeds into the conversation with the U.S. In the U.S., there has been like this, uh, this securities enforcement action going around where, hey, we're going to stomp on something and then decry it as a security later. A lot of the market has not loved that, obviously. And a lot of people are leaving the U.S. They're building outside the U.S. or they're excluding U.S. investors. It's a lot of capital that's moving offshore. In Europe, at least you have some sort of clarity, right? They're saying like, these are probably all securities, treat as securities register with us, do that whole thing. I'm not sure what the European securities market looks like, can't be an expert in everything. But the fact that they do sort of have these things on the book a little bit better than the US speaks to where capital could go in the future. I'll throw it to you, Zach. Yeah, super relevant to the comments coming out of Gary Gensler in the SEC, right? Or specifically just Gary Gensler, I should say. There's no official proclamation here, but Gary Gensler is on the record saying everything but Bitcoin pretty much looks like a security. When asked directly if that involved ETH, no comment. But those are the statements that a lot of people are reacting to and wondering if it's going to get codified into law. So this was sort of an, an advisement, a study. This is not sort of a lawmaking body that looked into this stuff. But they are sort of amplifying some of those thoughts that U.S. regulators seem to think as well, right? If there is an issuer, if there's a somewhat readily identifiable issuer of this token, then it should kind of be treated like a securities. It should have a securities designation rather than a commodities designation. And, you know, it seems sort of trivial, but there's all sorts of ramifications uh, in the trading sort of infrastructure, the market structure, in terms of how these things can be compliantly listed and offered to retail investors specifically. So there is all this sort of onerous red tape that goes along and really challenges sort of the existing incumbents in the crypto exchange world who may not be able to compliantly offer their services should sort of these blanket designations be rolled out in the US or in other jurisdictions. So this is. Yeah, this is sort of the question, I think. How do we classify these things? And this certainly is a bit of fuel to the fire if you're Gary Gensler pushing for a securities designation for almost all crypto assets. I know that some European startups have been advised 
to register as a security even before Miko was signed into law, like, you know, NFT projects, different projects have, have been getting that advice from their lawyers. For this story, I zeroed in on the DAO part because, you know, I'm always just curious about how DAOs are going to operate in this crazy, crazy world. And it was interesting to me that they're looking at autonomous organizations being legal entities. I think that is so that their governance tokens can then be deemed securities and and can then fall into the legal structures that already exist. I think this is probably going to present some issues for DAOs that are operating in Europe. If their governance tokens are then deemed securities, they're going to have a whole bunch of uh, different operational things that they're going to have to figure out. And I think what we're going to see come out of this is probably some innovation into how DAO governance is managed. I think probably we're going to see DAOs move away from governance tokens, especially if they're deemed as securities. And we're going to see some new cool things that are going to actually help the DAO space move forward. Adam? Yeah, a couple of things here. So just on uh, kind of tagging onto the DAO point and the securities point more broadly, the real important part about whether something is considered a security or not is that Securities have very, very specific rules about who can own them, how they can be bought, who can, who can even kind of enable trading of them. And so it's less about kind of the, is this an investment or is it not an investment? And it's more about how compatible are those rules with existing systems, as, as you said, Jen. Um, I think, again, like the, when you're looking at the kind of DAO question, you know, can they operate as real companies? I really kind of doubt that they can. I think that in the current kind of way that these things work, that's just not really feasible. And it eliminates most of the advantages that you actually get from using something like a DAO or, or like a smart contract, or really any of these other things. And so that kind of becomes the issue, which is that, sure, the rules are clear now, but now the rules basically make it so that this sector doesn't exist in the way that it does today. And all of the advantages, or at least most of the advantages that typically would come with it, get kind of thrown off to the side because you're fitting into a box that doesn't really fit into. So it has to adapt. Um, the, the kind of last point that I'll make here is that when you're looking at this, this is really a uh, guilty until proven innocent type of approach to the problem. And there are good reasons for that, I think. But, but that differentiation between, on the one side, um, like uh, actually decentralized things uh, that don't have actual like leaders, like for them, this is kind of a death knell because there's nobody who can go and effectively argue the innocence of the thing without then looking like they are actually a centralized leader of the thing. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 to even try to prove that innocence if you, if you are. So it, it's quite challenging. But uh, Zach, I'll throw to you. Yeah, putting the onus uh, at the project level certainly is, I think, an interesting and probably the most salient bit of the language that's incorporated here. All right, we are going to change gears. We're going to go to the racetrack. But Will, it's also to you. We're talking about blockchains teaming up with F1 and Red Bull. SWE, the blockchain, just launched a month ago. Since then, its token's been all over the place. But one thing is for sure, it is trying to get inside the limelight. It's teaming up with Red Bull and Formula One's Oracle Red Bull racing team in order to get itself on the grand track. This is an interesting topic. Why? Because a lot of times these decentralized blockchains don't have the ability to make marketing deals, but sometimes they do if there's a team behind it. Adam, I want to get your thoughts on this. I don't personally love seeing these sort of deals, and it was a big thing during the bull market. A lot of different teams, blockchain teams, and a lot of different exchanges teamed up with like F1 or NBA, MLB to sort of promote their token or their project. Didn't work out so well. I want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. This isn't really a partnership with F1. This is a partnership or an announced partnership with the Red Bull racing team on F1. Um, and I believe Oracle is also involved there as a sponsor too. 
The interesting part to me is that as we come into this kind of next generation of, of attempts at doing layer one blockchains, again, like the thing that they're basically trying to sell themselves on is they're saying, hey, we're professional, you know, like this is going to be easy to use. It's incredibly performant. It's like the narrative we saw around Ethereum killers, except kind of a next kind of level up. The Sweet team uh, kind of has some interesting history as well. But the thing that really jumped out at me about this, and which I think is the important question to ask, is they say that, uh, that this partnership is about creating a number of experiences that will use the blockchain in ways that are not really typical. And so I want to see those experiences. I think that, again, to the extent they can pull off experiences that do allow you to kind of abstract away all of the blockchain-ness while still keeping the characteristics that people want, which is essentially the ownership stuff, uh, that there may be something here. But that, that's the challenge is they have to prove that. And uh, a partnership doesn't, doesn't prove it. It just gives them the opportunity to flop or not. Zach? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the proof is in the pudding, right? And I think these, that is like, that is the goal for all these mass adoption ready new layer ones, right? We want to make seamless experiences that gamers, sports fans, others will use, will enjoy the ownership benefits, but won't really necessarily have to deal with some of the clunky stuff that has hindered crypto adoption to date, right? So when you look at these big sort of sports sponsorships, it's kind of table stakes for a lot of these blockchain foundations, Will. Totally. These are nonprofit organizations shepherding the growth of these ecosystems. So back off, bro. But there's a bunch of ones across the board from Algorand to Sui now all the way down, right? That put their name on whatever their uh, choice uh, sporting or entertainment venue is and seek to make experiences from that partnership that actually demonstrably prove value to both partners, right? And I think Adam is absolutely right. When those things come out and whether or not they click and see user adoption among that fan base, that's really when you know that you might have something here. Otherwise, you're just sticking your sticker on a race car that's emblazoned with dozens of stickers from different companies across the world. And that may or may not really move the needle on adoption as we've seen in the past. But I mean, we'll see. The proof is absolutely in the pudding. I think those experiences will really tell uh, whether or not this is working for Sweet and in turn for Red Bull Racing. But Jen, what do you think? So FTX used to be a sponsor for an F1 team. I believe it was Mercedes AMG FTX sponsored. And so this tells me that like that sour taste that was left in the mouth of sporting franchises and teams and celebrities may be alleviating itself. And people are still interested in crypto, still interested in crypto applications. And so that was a really exciting kind of part of the story to me. The other part is Red Bull Racing. Uh, entered into a deal with Bybit last year. And part of that deal was they took some payment in Bit Tokens, which is the governance token of BitDAO, which is a DAO that I used to contribute to, little disclosure. I don't know if they still hold those tokens, but Red Bull Racing maybe just, you know, gathering up a few moon bags and, and holding on to those. And we may see, see Red Bull Racing like come out on top in the next uh, bull cycle. So I thought that was uh, a really interesting piece of the story. Will, what do you think? Will's been silenced. He's been silenced yet again. This is spicy. Okay. The take, too spicy. <laughs> the take is not too spicy. I'm back. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. This reminds me of the MLB story that Zach and Danny Nelson reported on about a year ago. Terra Luna was sponsoring MLB. Uh, the Nationals, I think it was. I'm not a baseball guy, but I think Correct. it was the Nationals. Nationals. The Washington Nationals. It's probably not fair to put all these together, right? Like, blockchains, blockchain applications, wallets, services, exchanges, they're going to do this in the future forever. And there's always going to be some failures and some successes. But right after Terra Luna and right after FTX and the MLB and the NBA stadiums, 
it just looks a little weird. So I don't know. That's just how I'm categorizing it for the moment. But Jenna, give it to you for the next story. Yeah, we're talking about NFTs in the next story. And the last piece I want to say about this story is that Formula One recently announced NFT tickets for the Monaco races. So Formula One's just really embracing embracing NFTs and crypto. All right. A news analysis by Coindesk's Cam Thompson calls into question the role of influencer culture in Web3. This is going to be a little bit of a long intro because I need to get all the facts out. So stick with me. The piece points towards a scam that recently occurred involving NFT collection Pixel Penguins. It was promoted by Web3 influencer Andrew Wang, who said on Twitter that he hoped to raise funds for his artist friend who was battling cancer after rumors began to circulate about the authenticity of the project and the cause. Twitter sleuths found that the funds had been dispersed across two new wallet addresses and then were deposited on OKX to further obfuscate the paper trail. Then Wang took to Twitter shortly after apologizing, saying that he too was taken advantage of, and now many are calling into question the role of influencers and them misguiding their audience. Adam, I'm going to kick this off to you. What do you make of this whole situation? Yeah. So, I mean, this is not a situation that's new necessarily to NFTs, but I think that NFTs certainly do amplify the potential for it. The challenge here overall is that the vast majority of what people are buying out there, you know, again, is not really because they like the art. It's because they think that there's speculative value to be had in it, which then means that if something looks like it's going to be popular or has a narrative that can carry, then that's kind of all that matters in a lot of this. This is a somewhat cynical view of it. I think you ask a lot of people, they'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I love the art. I'm just collecting. But again, like if you quietly ask them later, then they will talk about things like generational wealth. And with the, when you get to the generational wealth conversation, again, that is always, I am desperate to make money and I view this as an opportunity to do so. And I'm not really caring about what I'm doing so long as it seems like it will make me money. So it's a cynical perspective on it. But yeah, I, this is not surprising. And these types of traps get led into uh, you know, because of those types of instincts. And it's sad, but it, it continues to happen. I really hope people learn. Zach? Yeah, plus one on that take. You know, that that impulse is an accelerant, right? You need to jump in as quickly as possible and get out potentially as quickly as possible while profit is still on the table, right? So when you think about like, oh, how could anyone fall for this? I think having understanding of that context is really key. Acting first, getting in on the mint, getting the, the floor price, and then acting from there it can be sort of like a determination of minutes, right? Rather than, rather than even hours. You got to get in on this thing or the opportunity is gone. So that sort of like time pressure that I think goes into sort of that speculative mindset, I think is very much a part of these stories. There's people acting based on that impulse rather than on doing the due diligence, rather than on fact-checking some of the stuff, rather than being sort of cautious. And instead, they sort of shoot first and ask questions later. And oftentimes that leads to people getting burned. So it's nice at least that these stories are being told because it's sort of, again, brings it into the light. And, you know, I guess like, at least you see an effort by this person who initially distributed it to correct the record, but often it's too late and that money is gone. So anyway, it's sad to see, but Will, it's awesome to you. Nothing new under the sun. The same thing happened with ICO scams, happened with like early Bitcoin scams, now NFTs. So there's nothing going to be changing with this story. We'll say the same thing in a few weeks. We'll have another story like this. This one is a little bit more egregious. I mean, the, the, part about like the medical history here, the artist claiming that they had cancer and it's unclear if that was true or not, even right now. But for the most part, it seems like that part is being like investigated actively. That makes these things sort of insidious, right? Because you have like this human element, which is really well put, I think, in this piece. 
And then you have the online element where you don't know somebody's identity and there's like this artwork and money involved. And when you have those two things colliding, you're going to have a bad day. Uh, I think for the most part, a lot of people who do put themselves in that situation, they are the ones putting them in, themselves in the situation. Don't send ETH to a random account that you found on Twitter and expect something to go well. Use ETH for a smart contract. Use ETH with something that has been like proven to be like reputable and worked itself out in the, in the past with other people. Uh, if you're going to play the game by sending to ETH to somebody randomly or a stablecoin to someone randomly, you're going to be playing the risk game there, right? You might have a big reward, but you also might just be completely getting scammed. This is just, it happens all the time. Jen, back to you. Yeah, I'll just go quickly. You know, the influencer mentioned in the story, Andrew Wang, he said he didn't have the proper wisdom to navigate something like this. He didn't know how he would change things in the future. And he said he probably actually wouldn't change anything in the future. And I think that what we should all take away from the story is that if we're going to interact with a project or a protocol or or we're going to make some kind of investment, we should be of the mentality that if something goes wrong, it is only our fault. So whether you want to do your research or not do your research or listen to an influencer or a celebrity, I think that you need to go into it and know that this is your decision and your decision only. And when something goes wrong, there is no one left to blame except for you. Zach? Um, hmm, what was I going to say? Yeah, well, maybe there's a class action lawsuit to be had. We could call up some of our lawyer friends and maybe assign and apportion our blame elsewhere. What do you think, Jen? No, I was just going to riff on Will quickly, and I want to toss it to Adam for a very short thought. But the idea of this emotional attack vector is very much a common theme across like pig butchering scams. Pig butchering is this big one where, you know, someone texts you on WhatsApp. Oh, hi, I just came across your number. You, you're really awesome. And then you sort of these emotional peels ex accelerate. And, you know, before you know it, some people sadly are out life fortunes. So that emotional attack factor is certainly there was something at play here and something that is a, a part of the space. But Adam, last thoughts quickly. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly what I was going to say. Again, like great sympathy for people who fall for this type of stuff. But the reality of it is, is that to the extent that you're being pressured, to the extent that there's really weird extenuating circumstances, that's the time to slow down and really, really pay attention. So best of luck to everybody else out there. Was nice. my take too harsh? Was it mean? No, you're no, good. good. You're good. But we're done. Good okay. words of caution all around. We're here looking out for you on the hash. I'm Zach, Will, Jen, Adam. That's it. We'll see you soon. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.